and she just like, you know, slapped the table and stopped me. It was like, you will regret this if you don't start this company. Uh, and we've, we've sort of had this framework in our marriage where uh, if we reach a big fork in the road of decision-making, uh, we always ask ourselves, you know, and, and we don't dwell on regrets or anything like that, but we ask ourselves, will I regret not doing this? And if the answer is, you know, I will regret it if I don't do this, then we, we go for it. And that's kind of a litmus test for us. And, and so I said, all right, well, we're going to figure some stuff out. You know, I can't run multiple companies. I need to go all in if we're going to do this. And, and we figured it out. And so, yes, we started the company. Uh, we were taking on Big Funeral and they don't like us. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and I'm dead serious when I say that today's episode is going to put the fun back in funeral, because the funeral industry is broken, and our guest today has made it his mission to fix it. On today's show, we have a founder I have been dying to get on the podcast. Meet Wesley Eames, CEO and founder of After.com. Hi, Wesley. Welcome to the show. Hey, Les. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, today, this is a pretty dark and dreary topic we're going to get into. Is, is that right? Morbid, yeah. This, this morbid. Be the most morbid episode. <laughs> oh, uh, our listeners are already tuning out. I can hear them hear them groan as, as, as we speak. Uh, no, it's actually going to be kind of fun. There, there won't be any death jokes though. I promise we'll keep it lighthearted, but, but no death jokes or what's what are the rules of engagement? Uh, I won't be making any death jokes, but you're welcome. Okay. To I'll probably, <laughs> no. uh, probably heard I'll them do, all actually. I'll do you have, I'm sure you have anyway. Uh, I'm so excited to dive into, uh, after.com cause that's what you're working on right now. But you know, to start off, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you came from, where you grew up, you know, the, the whole spiel from the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Wesley Eames. I grew up in southern Utah, of all places. Um, I've uh, been an entrepreneur since I was 12 years old. Um, my dad came home with a commercial grade lawnmower and, uh, you know, said uh, he, he was my first customer and the widow across the street was my second customer. And he, you know, recommended I go knock every door on the street to get more customers to pay back the $2,000 lawnmower. Um, and so, so I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12. Uh, my father was very entrepreneurial. My grandfather, great-grandfather. So it's it's hereditary, unfortunately. Amazing. So your your father wasn't a business partner. He 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 conscripted you to pay back this lawnmower yeah. rather than share in the in the uh, the long tails of revenue from your business. Yeah, you huh? could say he force founded that company for me. <laughs> awesome! What a dad. Yeah. No, really, really though, I, I think it was the best thing he could have ever done for me. So of course, since then, I, I think I've only had one job working for someone else, and uh, that was really transitioning from service businesses to the tech industry. I needed to learn that, and so. Um, but yeah, I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, what else do you want to know? Well, so we're going to get into, I mean, you've, you've essentially, when you, when you say it, some people are like, oh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And it's like, they're on their first startup. But I mean, you've started an online dating company, a genealogy company, a historical preservation tech company, and now death tech. Um, I, I'd love to kind of go, I mean, you, can you share the journey of just, just high level of 
how all this stuff evolved? Uh, yeah. So my teens were spent building service businesses, figuring out, you know, what service could make me more per hour and be a little bit easier. You know, I went from mowing lawns and it's like Las Vegas weather where I grew up. So hundred degree heat. Uh, and I realized I could do, you know, window washing and make a little bit more per hour and I'd be inside air conditioning. And I learned like commercial window washing is better than residential. And, uh, and then YouTube was, you know, YouTube was really cool back then. And I thought I want to be a YouTuber. I want to learn you know, more about the internet. Um, so I started doing wedding videos every Saturday to pay for my like production gear and my camera and the editing software. Um, cause I can make a thousand dollars on a Saturday if I did a wedding video instead of, you know, 400 every Saturday doing lawns. Um, so that, that was the progression, uh, at 21, I, uh, went and interned at a tech company down in uh, San Diego and this was during the daily deal era of like 2010 2012 you know living social Groupon had just gone public I think or was about to go public mm -hmm. um, so it was a daily deal startup which everyone was doing uh, we were raising money out of LA and the founder was a mentor um, it completely died and and blew up but I learned a lot and I learned I wanted to be in the tech industry after that experience. Uh, and so, you know, the next summer I also went down to San Diego, a different uh, B2B SaaS company I joined. And I think I was the like 18th person on the team. And over the next year and a half, they grew to over a hundred people. And I got to play, you know, different roles within that org from sales ops to marketing to content creation. And, and I think that's where I really like learn the ins and outs of the different functions within a, a software company an internet based business. Um, founder was a great mentor that that company was FMG suite, uh, had hmm. a private equity buyout still running today. Uh, great business. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it was vertical SaaS for financial advisors. And that's also when I learned, uh, I'm a D to C guy. Like there is nothing hmm. more boring for me than enterprise software. No offense to the And you had to software. do it. You had to do it to realize how boring it was, basically. Yeah, to like to like build a widget for like a company to make 10% better margins is like so boring. Um, and uh, so while, while I was there, I was moonlighting what is now trace.com. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a combination of my, you know, passions. I was entrepreneurial. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur specifically. Uh, and I had always been like the journalist, historian of the family, the genealogist. And, and normally that's like a 70-year-old woman uh, in each family. But generally speaking, uh, at every Thanksgiving dinner table, there's usually an older gal who cares about the family history. Well, everyone else doesn't really care, right? Yeah, it was, it was Aunt Dorothy. Aunt Dorothy in my that's family. Right. And, and now Aunt Dorothy has passed and it's my mother. <laughs> so yes, right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I was Aunt Dorothy. From like 14 years on. Uh, and so I saw an industry, and that's kind of the other theme in my, my entrepreneurial journey is um, I saw an industry that was like very antiquated. Uh, fusty was the word. I, I learned <laughs> about that word first describing the genealogy industry. Um, and so, so we built Trace. Uh, you know, that was uh, venture-backed early on. We did Techstars Boulder. We raised, mm -hmm. you know, from some great investors, David Cohen. Uh, Dave Moon, the former chairman of Ancestry, invested in that. And then around Series A time, we realized like pretty big signaling there. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. We did great. We did great in TechStars. Yeah. It was a phenomenal program. Um, and then around Series A time in 2019, we realized like this this is not a big enough space mm -hmm. uh, to keep raising venture. And so 
there was like a small probability we could squeeze a series A out and keep going, but we we're going to risk the company doing it. Mm-hmm. And the board ultimately agreed that, you know, we had like a 90% chance of becoming profitable and still sustainably growing. And so we off-ramped that business from venture, um, still has a team of about 10 today running it, uh, growing year over year, you know, double digit percentage, but still healthy and, and profitable. So that was, that was my first venture in the tech world. And uh, I think I learned more than anything uh, in that business of them all. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a fun journey. And I that's, that's when we met originally, right? I think it was around that time, 2019. Uh, yeah. You were one of the only investors who gave us honest feedback that we should not raise more <laughs> venture. Everyone well, else just passed or said, come back when you're bigger. And, uh, and uh, we didn't get real honest feedback, unfortunately, from the community. And, and yeah, Next Frontier was very... This is why we're not investing. And, and I, I remember vividly you saying, you know, you're like a for sure two to four X or, you know, like something like that, three to five maybe, but you're not going to yeah. return the whole fund. And we can only invest in companies that are going to, you know, we can only take those bets on companies that are going to really, you know, make an outsized return. And, and I was sure. naive to venture economics at the time. Hmm. Um, and so I, I probably shouldn't have, you know, raised as much seed money as we did, but um, yeah, so far so good, and, and I'm confident we'll either buy out the shareholders or return that capital That's in great. a private equity sell. So, um, yeah, that was that was the first journey. That was Trace, and so, you know, coming out of that, I mean, you think about like the, you know, just going through, just getting accepted to TechStars already as a founder puts you in like the I don't know what it is point something percent club, and then you know successfully raising, successfully growing a business. I mean pretty, pretty amazing experience that for, for a lot of founders would be like the pinnacle, but you, you weren't done. You weren't done with trace. There was something uh, more right. after, after that. Yeah. After yeah, trace. I, well, <laughs> yeah, there was a, a founder identity crisis soon after trace. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it was year six or so of trace. I, I realized you know, I got into this to really control my destiny, control my time, you know, create something great in the world, impact a lot of people. Um, I realized I was like, after we pivoted to profitability, I realized I was over leveraged, overstressed, you know, mm-hmm. running a marginally profitable business that was turning more into like a small business was just as stressful as venture back business. And, um, and so I stepped back and said, well, why am I doing this? You know, what if this business fails? Am I a failure as a founder? And, and I had like all those, you know, uh, negative, untrue thoughts that founders, I'm sure, go through. And uh, and around that time, too, I uh, I started saying yes to other stuff because I'm six years in now to this tech startup. Um, I don't, I'm like maybe asset rich, but who knows if there will ever be liquidity and I have no cash, right? Mm-hmm. And so this has actually been a net drag on my family, on my marriage. Like this, this startup thing wasn't what I thought. Um, so I just started saying yes to other opportunities because there was no shortage of opportunities. Um, that included buying a dating app. So I didn't start the dating app, uh, but I bought another uh, company that was in our Techstars cohort with a partner, um, and we bought Meet Mindful. That's right. I forgot they were in the cohort with you. I totally forgot about that. Was it? And it was called. It was that. That's that was the name of it. You yeah, changed yeah, Meet your Mindful. name. You rebranded. Trace rebranded. Right. And that yes, from that that's cohort. Right. Yes, yeah. but Meet Mindful is also in that cohort. Yeah, that's quite a unique story. I wonder if that's ever happened before that a Techstars founder mm-hmm. acquired another company. In, in, in her cohort. cohort acquisition. I, yeah. I 
one of a kind. That's cool. Yeah. So, so how did that, that go? A, uh, that was that was fantastic. I mean, I think I think that's a similar probably story, and and certainly some details I can't talk about, but it mm -hmm. was. Uh, I think it was a story of a, a great business that you know, similar to Trace. Probably, I mean, it is a better business than Trace, but a great business that uh, probably shouldn't have raised as much venture capital as they did, um, mm -hmm. and that created you know a hard kind of set of incentives later stage. Um, and so the board actually, you know, forced the sale of, of the dating app as they pivoted to something bigger and better. And, um, mm -hmm. and I had run a marketplace business. Trace was a managed marketplace at that point. And, uh, dating apps are just localized marketplaces, um, obviously D to C and, uh, and mindfulness is just continuing to grow as like a category. Um, mm -hmm. so we acquired that business in 2020. Um, and around the same time, you know, that's when we started investing more into uh, Tales.com, which is a oral history company where we're trying to really just capture all of these stories of the baby boomers. I think we're losing six to 7,000 baby boomers a day right now in the U.S. and will continue to for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and so there's just so much treasure in their minds and their stories in their history that needs to be uh, recorded. And so, uh, so around that time, in saying yes to more things, I acquired a company, uh, and then you know founded Tales.com with my wife, and now we have a, a partner who's actually running that named Spencer. I'll tell you, Tales.com in particular, especially as of recent for me, is something I definitely want to make sure we put the link in the show notes, and I am I, I want to do a call out to all of our listeners to really give this some serious thought. I actually just lost a dear dear friend, fellow veteran. 102 years old uh, a few weeks ago, um, and, and the incredible stories that, I mean, sadly, only I know. And I know I, I could verbatim tell so many of them because I used to have lunch with, with my dear friend Al Zelver uh, on, a, on a monthly basis, and I would hear the same stories like five or six times because he forgot. Yeah, he often forgot that he told them to me, but uh, yeah. it's just you're, you're so right. There's so much treasure there. There's so many incredible um, just stories to, to capture for inspiration, for just truth of the universe kind of stuff. I mean, really cool what you're doing doing with Tales. Can you tell us a little bit more about if it's something that gets us excited? Like, what, what do we do? How do we get involved? How do we get these stories recorded? Uh, yeah, so, so the origin of it was me and my wife, you know, talking one Saturday night, realizing uh, our children will likely never know any of our grandparents. I think I had lost two of my four grandparents at the time or had just lost the third of the fourth. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, my wife had the same realization. She only had one living grandparent left. And so our little two-year-old, we realized, is never going to meet these individuals. Um, but they were so impactful in our lives. Their stories were incredible. Um, anyone from, I think, the boomer generation has just a powerful story in their upbringing, the way of life in America at the time. Um, and so, uh, so it's a personal podcast about their life. Uh, they're interviewed by a professional, you know, journalist or a storytelling expert. Uh, it's either on zoom or, you know, grandma can just pick up the phone. We can call her landline. And, and so half of the interview is, it works with rotary phones too. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cricket. My grandmother Cricket. had one. That's why I'm serious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the quality will not, the sound quality won't be great, um, but that's what we've learned is uh, if it's grandma on the line that you're listening to, it's okay if it's a little crackly and it's not, you know, studio yeah. quality. And then the journalist and the professional interviewer is in a studio and it is like NPR quality. 
Um, and so we'll do, mm -hmm. you know, one to, I think we've done 10 episodes for one person and these are half hour interviews that get edited down to 20 minutes. We take out the ums, we take out the questions that fall flat or when grandma mm -hmm. gets confused or, uh, and so it's just like this really nice 20 minute snippet episodes, um, that means so much to like a hundred people and probably mm -hmm. no one else will really care that much, but like to the hundred descendants of that male or woman, uh, like that's just so powerful. I see. So that's the, fo the focus is, is for that family connection. Very cool. That's right. Yeah. And, and there's so much research that shows, you know, uh, kids who know the family narrative are like more emotionally resilient when they face hardships in their lives. And mm. it's, it's, it's important for these stories to pass on for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, you know, that's our mission and that's kind of everything we do has got this sort of family mission behind it. Much better inspiration than TikTok for sure. Yes. 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 <laughs> Much more agree. wholesome and helpful yeah. <laughs> to yes. society. Yeah. Wonderful. So, uh, so we're going to dive into the meat of the, the conversation here in a second. But um, before we do, I just want to make kind of a ob an observation of a question. Is, and and, and it, that is, we've talked about Trace. We've talked a little bit about Mean Mindful and now Tales.com. Is there a theme here? Is there... Like what gets Wesley out of bed in the morning or, or like what is the theme of all these really unique sort of businesses that you've started? Or is there one? Maybe it's a leading question. Uh, yeah. So the way I, I simplify it for people just because it is odd. I think it's odd what I do sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, we're really connecting families historically and genealogically with Trace. Um, we're starting families with the dating app. We're memorializing families with Tales. And then at after.com, you know, which I think we're here to really talk about, uh, we are serving families at end of life. Um, I, I think I have a deep appreciation for the family unit. Uh, and I think it's an important piece to society. And I want all of my businesses to benefit that. Uh, and, and the theme right is like marketplaces, D2C, tech-enabled services. Like those, those are the skills I have where I can have the highest impact. Um, and then, yeah, the, the consumer and the categories are all fairly adjacent. Makes sense. And, you know, with that in mind, let's talk about how the funeral industry is, is broken or dying. In fact, perhaps, yeah, um, dying a slow big funeral. <laughs> I, think, I think they're dying fast, actually. What, uh, what yeah. is it? So, so yeah. So let's start with like kind of the inspiration maybe. Cause like when, when you think about accomplished, like, Tech stars, accomplished founder, like family, like amazing portfolio of successes. And then it's like, oh, eh, I think I'll get into death tech. Not what I would expect. Not what I would script here. Where did it come from? Where did the motivation come from? Uh, I think it was a, it was a opportunity so compelling that it pulled me in like a very strong magnet. Uh, and it didn't make sense for me to start another business. I had, um, mm. I had multiple sources of income. We had stability. We had gotten kind of over that like five or six year hump as a founder where I felt like I was a failure and I you didn't have any real assets or anything like that. Uh, so I didn't need to do this, uh, but the opportunity and the broken nature of funeral services just kept bringing me back. Like I found myself on Saturdays reading like industry reports on cremation preferences and the rise of <laughs> cremation preferences. And I just, I, I, ha I have this, you know, part of that hereditary illness of being an entrepreneur, I 
I just, I get so obsessed with issues, like real broken problems. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was always close to death being in the genealogy industry. You know, cemeteries are a huge source of information for genealogists. Sure. And I was always like working with baby boomer consumers. And so I knew like, you know, life insurance is a category, uh, end of life space, hospice. These were just like incredibly large businesses. Uh, and then we all know the local funeral home. And, and as I studied it and as I became a student of the space, I learned uh, this is the most fragmented space I'm aware of in the U.S. You know, we have 80,000 independently owned funeral homes nationwide. They're mom and pop. They're multi-generation, uh, you know, there's, it's kind of in like a roll-up consolidating phase right now, but as an industry, it's still one of the last ones that like really hasn't come online, very fragmented. And then the like used car space, right? We all know is broken in the way they sell. And that's how funeral services are sold to us today. And so for just gone, 36 monthly payments of one ninety nine ninety nine, we can upgrade you to the premium rest deluxe package made from right. aluminum. I, I, I had to watch it before. I mean, so our listeners are probably like, what is going on? Yes. These there's some amazing marketing videos uh, that after.com has. We'll put those links in the show notes. They are hilarious. But yeah, this is. This is the reality. I mean, it's not far from the truth how bad, right? How bad this is in real life. Yeah, and, and I'll caveat by saying, you know, you, you've never met a funeral director who's not well-meaning and a nice person and doing it because sure. they really are like mission-driven. It's not mm -hmm. them I'm critiquing. It's the mm -hmm. business model. And exactly. I don't think it's the funeral home's fault, right? They're just trying to have a sustainable business that their great-grandfather started. They want to keep it in yeah. business and have the good margins and everything. Um, but it's the way these services are sold. It's the way, you know, they use a phrase in the industry, start low, watch it grow, where you advertise a low price, get a customer in the door, and then there's all these add-ons. Um, and so just like the predatory nature of the pricing and the selling, um, people are grieving, they're vulnerable. Uh, and I thought, okay, why hasn't anyone tech enabled this space? Uh, so I started looking into it, became obsessed with it, uh, and then realized, you know, it was the realization that the next 10 to 15 years represent the greatest opportunity in my lifetime to change this industry as the boomers pass, as they go through this experience, because we now have a generation, Gen X and millennials that are arranging all these funerals that, that buy their mattresses online, that have very different consumer preferences. They're used to reading all these reviews, researching the exact make and model of car. And then they walk into the dealership and say, I'd like you to order this. Like, don't sell me what you have on the lot. I've already done the research. Um, and so why haven't we done that with funeral services? Um, and the industry is just, the industry is very large. The opportunity is very large. And the current solutions, I felt like were falling short. And then it was like, I think I'm the most equipped person on earth to solve this problem with like the past experiences and the past industries yeah. I've been in. And, uh, and so I was eating tacos with my wife one night, we were on date night and, uh, and I was like in, in a cemetery, no doubt. Right. You guys were, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> with candles. Just trying to set the mood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I told her, I, you know, I'm obsessed with this. I know you've been hearing about it for months now. Uh, people are like, you know, offering to invest. People are very excited. I have people saying they'll quit their job and come join the cause. Like it's a real 
problem people resonate with if you've ever you know buried a loved one which most people have mm -hmm. um and i said but i can't do it like i've got too much going on uh and she just like you know slapped the table and stopped me it was like you will regret this if you don't start this company uh and we've we've sort of had this framework in our marriage where uh, if we reach a big fork in the road of decision making uh, we always ask ourselves, you know, and, and we don't dwell on regrets or anything like that, but we ask ourselves, will I regret not doing this? And if the answer is, you know, I will regret it if I don't do this, then we, we go for it. And that's kind of a litmus test for us. And, and so I said, all right, well, we're going to figure some stuff out. You know, I can't run multiple companies. I need to go all in if we're going to do this. And, and we figured it out. And so, yes, we started the company. I, uh, we were taking on Big Funeral and they don't like us. I love, I love the framework of we will regret this if we don't do it. So we must. It's a good thing you guys are in the in kind of a tech startup industry and not like extreme sports. Like, ah, I, I could jump off this cliff with a squirrel, squirrel suit on. If I don't, I will regret it. So I must. <laughs> but that's, that's an incredible, right, yeah. I mean, a lot of courage. It takes the same amount of courage for something like this. I mean, it's incredible. Um, yeah. that, that you and, and that you had that buy-in from, uh, from, from your wife. It's amazing. Yeah. She's, she's back to everything. And, and I think it's because at the core of what I'm doing professionally is sort of our family mission, which, you know, is to strengthen families, to help families. Um, we have four little kids ourselves. We plan to have a big family. And, uh, so she, she's all in as well. We have four. We're planning to have a big family. <laughs> so there's, yes. Is that a, yeah, is that a teaser? In, Spoiler alert here. <laughs> out here in Utah, four is uh, average or below average. So we'll we'll probably yeah. have north of four. Amazing, beautiful children too. I've seen photos. They're they're gorgeous, yep. gorgeous kids. Um, the uh, so I want to rewind to a second, something you said a second ago, which is no one has tried this before, and what why. Why is that? Why do you think it's taken this long? I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, I can get a car on demand or I can, uh, you know, order, order food, to, you know, from McDonald's on demand, like, like th there's, there's so many other industries that I, I would think would be like lower hanging fruit. This is like a big, massive TAM, massive space for disruption. Why has nobody tried this? Uh, yeah, and I'll clarify that. At the time, I had thought nobody has tried this, uh -huh. right? And, and okay. that's, that's one right. of the beauties of being an eternal optimist and just jumping with a lot of ignorance uh, as an entrepreneur. So I, I sort of jumped in. Um, I think I bought the domain soon, soon after that conversation. So uh, that was me having skin in the game is buy a sixfigure.com. Uh, that I'm paying. I was going to you know, say, not, a, not a, an inexpensive a, domain for sure. For yeah. sure. So when you're paying a mortgage on a domain every month, the same as your house, <laughs> you're very motivated to build a business. Um, and, uh, and as I looked into it, there were people who had built something similar. Uh, there was one out of uh, the Bay Area that uh, I didn't learn about until we had actually launched. And then there was another in the Pacific Northwest, um, mm -hmm. another in the UK. Um, so as I looked out there, there were people already proving a lot of our assumptions, which was good. Um, but prior to that, you know, I think in the last five years, those have all come about. And that's a result of, you know, when a startup like is very innovative, but is too early, the industry's not ready for it. I think that's the answer to your question is mm. uh, consumers really weren't ready to stomach. Like I can fully arrange my cremation at 50 years old, 20 years before I need it all online. Like, I don't think consumers cared to do that. 
so the timing was right as the boomers have passed and started to pass in the last, you know, five to seven years. Um, and we're seeing those growths in death. Uh, I think what, what my experience was personally, and I think a lot of people that are, you know, in my same shoes resonate with is I've been to the same fusty funeral home in Northern Utah, where my grandfather, my grandmother, and my uncles were buried. And I don't want to ever go into that funeral home again. Like it has a negative feeling to me. I'd rather have a celebration of life for one of my loved ones. Like let's talk about them. Let's share stories. Let's eat the food they loved, dance to the music they enjoyed. Um, so we have this new generational preference for end of life. That's, that's kind of moving like a wave and we are capturing and catching that wave uh, at after. And so there was a huge change that's happened. I think probably in the last five years has been the most dramatic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 2020, it was the first year in the US, the cremation preference was above 50%. Uh-huh. So before that, a majority of people still preferred to be buried traditionally in the ground. Um, and so that wave though is now coming and, and by 2030, you know, depending on which stat you look at, it, it could be upwards of 75% nationwide pre- cremation preference. That makes sense. And I especially think as people become more conscious of, you know, their carbon footprint and just, you know, the, the impacts of things that we do on the environment, it's like, do I really need to be in a box taking up space on this planet until, you know, until kingdom come? I mean, it's like, well, yeah, it's worse than that. It is. Do I really need to be pumped full of this liquid that's horrible for the earth that mummifies me, put in a wooden box, covered in metal, put in a concrete box? Like, it is so bad what we are Isn't doing. Isn't there a limit? Like, it reminds me of, like, it's like Wally. Like, isn't there a limit? Like, eventually, like, every square foot of the planet, some, like, Right. If we all continue to do this. Right. Well, so in the UK, they already have this problem. So your, your, your uh, tombstone and your grave site are usually like a 25 year lease. And then they dig it up Ah. and put someone else in there. So they have a space problem in the UK already. Uh, Thankfully in the US, we have plenty of land. It doesn't make it any better for the earth to bury people. Um, And there's other factors too, Les, I'll mention you know, we're a mobile society now. So like, I don't live where my grandparents grew up and are buried. So these like local cemeteries mean less to us because we're moving more, we're working from home, we're working from wherever, Uh, we're going to the opportunities, whereas a generation ago or two generations ago, um, you know, you kind of lived near and around where you grew up. Uh, And then, you know, the other reason is the decline in religion. A lot of traditional burial practices stem from uh, traditional Christianity, you know, bury them facing east. Um, you know, you have like religious services that restrict how that burial must be done in preparation for a resurrection. Um, so as decline of religion in the U.S. happens too, cremation is just like makes sense for the earth, makes sense because I don't live in that part of the country anymore. And, you know, I don't have to, I'm not required by Catholicism anymore to do it this way. And so. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's there's a lot of, Certainly a lot of reasons, uh, I think. And, and it's amazing how much has changed. Like, as, you, as you're as you talking about this, I'm like, wow, yeah, there's like a lot of conventional things even in my lifetime that's one or two generations away that are so different. And then you think about the tradition, like the the whole tradition of like a headstone. It's like literally you're carving my name in a stone. Like, how old is that tradition? That's like. Yeah. How old are uh, stones? 
yeah, exactly. Wow. Oh, so so much to be disrupted and innovated here. Um, so what could what could possibly go wrong? You got a you got a, a founder, someone with zero multi generational experience in an industry that is like the precedent to be successful. Is like your father did it, your mother did it, your grandfather, like father, whatever. It goes back multiple generations. Like what could go wrong? Like right, Wes, first first time at it. No, solo founder uh, a lot, what a lot here here's what could go wrong and this is why it took me seven or eight months of i was all in on like i was paying this domain payment for seven or eight months before we actually launched and here's why uh the mvp of this startup is no joke like our first customer let's say we get a customer right you know you i've, I've created e-commerce businesses you throw up a landing page someone clicks buy and you don't actually have a product, you now know they're gonna buy, but you could just refund the money and you can test the channel or the acquisition strategy or whatever. Uh, if I go acquire one customer for after, we need to responsibly care for their loved one and cremate them. And so, <laughs> so there's a little bit higher barrier to entry here. Um, and that, that's really how I got connected with my co-founder Bryce. Uh, he was running a funeral home his great-grandfather started out in Mesa, Arizona. And it was the most reputable one in town. They service Greater Phoenix. Um, and so it wasn't until I met him that I had the confidence to even dare try this business. Because mm -hmm. you can't screw up, you know, responsibly caring for a decedent <laughs> for a family. Yeah. And, and I, all my other startups, I had, I thought, I thought there might've been a missing detail there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had put this post out on uh, LinkedIn um, and one of our early investors did as well. Um, basically pitching the idea, you know, why, why don't we have crematoriums in more rural industrial areas? Uh, and let's, let's make it an internet first experience. Let's save the customer cost, add value by tech enabling a lot of these other things like estate settlement, grief support, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, let's just have like a high value offering that doesn't have the selling process of traditional funeral. And, uh, let's see if it works. And that, that post went out there. Um, my co-founder my now co-founder Bryce saw it. Um, he immediately messaged me, or I think he added me on LinkedIn. I messaged him. I said, Hey, great to connect. You know, you're a funeral director. I think my first connection on LinkedIn, who's a funeral mortician. <laughs> I didn't know they were on LinkedIn. I've never seen them on there. That's amazing. They're not very loud. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I said, you know, tell me more. I assume you saw the post. Uh, and he was like, yeah, how can I help? And I was like, wow, that's very, very interesting because I had called all the funeral homes up and down the, you know, greater Salt Lake area, uh, mountain range and I'd ask them, you know, will you, will you do a pilot with me? Are you willing to partner on this? What do you think? And when I got the I got one of three responses, they either flat out ignored, like repeated, like I'm texting their cell phones and they wouldn't respond or, uh, they highbrowed us and said like, Oh, that'll never work. You know, what do you, what you don't know anything about our space or how we do things around here. Uh, or they met with me and they were very threatened by the idea and very guarded. And that's when I knew I was onto something from the reaction of all these funeral right. homes. And so Bryce was one of the first ones, you know, he's really the most forward thinking funeral director I've met, uh, running one of the best run funeral homes in the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and he said, how can I help? And then later in meeting, I flew down to Arizona. We talked about a pilot, talked about partnering. And uh, he explained, he's like, look, I got a great business, you know, large business, great EBITDA. You know, I think the company is mostly owned by him. And, uh, and he's, he said, what you're describing doing, it could be maybe the greatest threat to my traditional funeral home because the industry is polarizing. And that's why I want to be involved. The industry is polarizing to really high-end services um, and experience-based stuff, or it's polarizing to, I just need to do this cremation so we can scare the ashes in Maui. Like we'd rather memorialize their life by taking a family trip to Maui um, mm. and scattering them out there. And so, so I just need like the cheapest, most basic cremation. Um, mm -hmm. And so with that polarization, it creates a problem for all the traditional funeral homes who are right in the middle that still want to charge four to $6,000 to cremate when it's the same machine that we use and we do it for $700. Yeah. It's just, it's like an industrial oven basically, right? Uh, yes. A li little more bells and whistles, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to like trivialize it, but yeah. You're insulting not... our crematorium. <laughs> yeah. It's not, but it's not, it's not rocket science. It's death science, like death yeah, tech, it's, right? It's not, it, yeah, not... It's, it's natural gas. Yeah, there sure it is. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, so what, so now you got Bryce on, on board and he's willing to help. Like what did, where did you decide to take it from there? Like what was the, what was the official launch strategy or the official go to market once things yeah. were starting well, to get more the first, predictable? The first question was how, how on earth do we get licensed as a funeral home in the state of Arizona? Uh, uh, we need to actually be a licensed, you know, funeral home and, crematorium that's approved by the board of funeral directors. So there's like, there's red tape here and there's, you know, there's, there's other reasons why this hasn't been done at scale. Um, mm. The service is simple. The logistics and the regulatory nature of it are, are not simple or not trivial. Um, so I think we spent the next three months, you know, incorporating becoming a licensed funeral home in the state of Arizona. You know, he was willing to do a pilot and, and thankfully he had an operating crematorium that served multiple funeral homes at the time. Uh, so we had, we had someone in house that could make sure the quality was high. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was December, 2020. We launched, uh, the pilot went so well that three hours after we turned on ads, we turned them off cause we, we didn't want any more customers. We just wanted to make sure we got like, you know, stop we, dying we, people. <laughs> we can't, we can't take the business. We stop can't calling take it. us. Yeah. We, we really want to make sure. Uh, we, yeah. we have a good experience for these families. And so that was like December 15th um, of 2020. And we didn't relaunch until mid-January. Uh, you know, frankly, I was on paternity leave 1st of January. And, and we were making sure those families, those first three families were served really well. Um, and then me and my, we have one other co-founder named Jackson. Uh, mm -hmm. Me and my other co-founder, Jackson, we were the care specialists for the first 50 families just making sure they had a world-class experience. We were texting, emailing, you know, figuring out everything out with them, hand-holding through the process. And in doing that, we were learning, you know, what of this process can we make more efficient? What can we tech enable? What can we make a, you know, more world-class experience than funeral homes are offering them? Um, and I'd say we really launched and went full-time. Uh, you know, the pilot kind of concluded in the uh, June or July of 2021 and that's when we went all in um, it was around that time too uh, that's when we decided to raise venture capital and that was a result of understanding that 
while the funeral goods and services industry, you know, is near nearly thirty billion dollars in the U.S., uh, what was almost more interesting, or, or I guess also caught our attention, was a separately an almost thirty billion dollar industry is the pre-planned funeral insurance space. And from the week we went live, we had people calling us. It was usually like husband and wife on speakerphone, and they were calling us to pre-plan their cremation. And they were in their 50s. They were nowhere near dying, no terminal illness. They just wanted to get it done. And I had no idea there was a separate, equally large industry there um, when we started the business. Uh, But that's when we decided to raise venture capital and and really, you know, take a whole new uh, approach here. Um, also, that's around the same time we went full time. Awesome. And uh, and then where did you expand from there? So you started with Arizona, and what was kind of what was the expansion from there? Uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe three or four months into Arizona Pilot, we decided to launch Utah, and frankly, that was because we had been inbounded by a Utah funeral director who felt similarly to Bryce of like, hey, this is maybe the greatest threat to my traditional funeral home. I want to invest. How can I help? And uh, as you know, similarly forward thinking. Uh, and so we, we had a license here in Utah. We had a partner we really liked. We had a fulfillment partner that met our standards. Um, so we launched in Utah just because it was our own backyard. You know, mm-hmm. most of the team was here. Bryce was down in Arizona still. Um, and it just made sense. The, the other thinking was uh, Utah is the lowest cremation preference in the country. So it's 35% uh. preference for cremation over burial. Um, whereas the rest of the country is above 50 for the most part, states like Nevada, Arizona, they're above 70. Um, and so it's the exact opposite. And we thought if we can be viable in Utah, we can be viable anywhere else in the country. How did it, how has it gone? Uh, we're viable in Utah. That's awesome. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Very good. No, it's, it's gone great. I mean, families, families really want this. It's it's obvious. It was obvious from day one. Families love us. Traditional funeral homes hate our guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's—I'm sure—that's a battle you'll continue to to continue to fight, right, with every new state that you launch. Because it, it will be because of licensing. I assume it's a state by state. Yep. Uh, yeah. So we process. operate now in uh, Colorado as well. Um, hmm. So we're getting both sides of the Rockies. Uh, hopefully Montana. We just don't have very many people up there yet. <laughs> Yeah. We need, we need that, more people to move to Montana. Yeah, it's like uh, that would be really a test of viability because it's not about percentages. It's just about large N or small N, I should say. There's just That's nobody right. lives here. Yeah. Um, how do you what about that? What about the infinite churn aspect of this business? Did any of the VCs uh, throw that throw that at you when you uh, when you're pitching or like, what, how do you think about yeah. that? There were we we thought about it. Uh, there there were some comments and some jokes made on yeah, you know, yeah. LTV is capped. Uh, there were yeah some- yeah. <laughs> you, you, you should know, actually it's not really it's not really LTV. It's DTV, isn't it? Isn't it like death uh, the de- de- time of death value or something? Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Uh, I don't know if it was you or someone else. I remember someone asked. You know, is there a recurring model here? Is there? <laughs> Is there an MRR play? There's not. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, no, the way the way we view it is, um, especially with the coupling the insurance business. So so right now we're you know running internally two separate businesses. There's an insurance tech piece, and then there's a end of life service angle with the cremation. Um, and the way we see it is we serve family, we serve individuals preparing for their end of life, 
uh, with the insurance angle. Um, a lot of people are on monthly payment plans there. So like we technically have an MRR, um, but we're writing insurance policies in preparation for the next 25 years. A lot of people we plan for are, are really 25 years from passing, um, building mm -hmm. this very large book of business there. Uh, and then, right, we're servicing at need is what we call it, or immediate service. And, um, and that's when the family becomes the customer. It's no longer the individual because there's a decedent and the family is now our customer. Uh, and, um, and what's interesting is a lot of people who take care of, you know, their loved one as far as cremation goes with us, uh, they then pre-plan and become a pre-need customer. And so it's very cyclical in the way that we serve families on all the sides of end of life. And we plan to continue to go up and down the value chain from that point of death because that impacts families in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, settling estates, um, planning, you know, trusts and wills. Like there, there's a lot we can do up and down from that very critical life event. You know, people sure. often say it's one of the three biggest life events. Yeah, for sure. For family. Yep. Well, I mean, what an incredible journey. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of all of us when we say we're, we're really excited to see what's what's next um, with, with after.com. Anything you want to, as we kind of wrap up the episode, I've got kind of two fun personal questions I want to ask. But before we go there, anything else on the company side that you want to highlight or, you know, predictions you want to make, you know, anything anything fun about the future? Uh, yeah, the way, like my point of view, which is, likely wrong, but my point of view on the industry is uh, we're going to see a commoditization of cremation and mm. what we're going to see in the industry as far as innovation goes is uh, experiences, you know, things I can do with ashes. I want to turn the ashes into a diamond, which we're already seeing uh, arise in that service. Um, mm. I want to send the ashes to space, um, different ways, different and unique, uh, rather creative ways to memorialize someone's life, to celebrate their life. Um, we have uh, we just hired someone recently who's a certified celebrant who helps families you know plan the coolest funeral. Like I want I want the casket to be in this old Chevy truck, and I want <laughs> this music playing in the procession. And and so we're seeing a new generation do this, and I, I think that will become the norm as we celebrate life in very different ways. Uh, which means you know the the cremation itself. Uh, you're going to go for highest value, you know, lowest cost usually. Um, and then as far as other industry, you know, tidbits that we like to look at, aquamation is legal, I think, in 21 states now. Um, and that, what is I, that? I predict, that is uh, alkaline hydrolysis, that is the technical term. Um, and it's a water cremation using chemicals and heat. Uh, and it's, it's mm. more eco-friendly than fire cremation. Um, less so if you want to like put it in an ocean or a river or something, put the remains, that's like the best way to do it or no, there's a, there's a machine. It's similar to like, you know, we use a retort for fire cremation. There's a uh -huh. aquamation machine that you put the decedent in. Um, I would you bottle it, it up. You're interested. You just like bottle it up then. Or... No, no, no. It... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just not uh, understanding this. <laughs> sure. And, and I'm not an expert on aquamation, but it is an it interesting just trend. It incredible. Um, the, okay. the chemicals and the heat of the water, uh, it's a means of disposition for that decedent. And what comes out of the machine is bones that are then ground up uh, and put into an urn. Uh, I so see, it's a I different okay. form of disposition. Um, I see. I, I predict that'll be legal in all 50 states in the next five to seven years. And then terramation, which is earth cremation or human composting, is legal ah. now in two states. And I see that being a nationwide thing because that is the greenest form of burial. Sure. 
And then you can dust. not only not only can you plant the tree for the loved one, you can fertilize it with them. Uh, you basically. are the tree at that point. You are the tree. Okay. Yes. Wow. Um, I didn't think we would get into that in this episode, but I'm glad we did because that was I, I learned something very interesting. That's cool. So means of disposition is very interesting to watch. Uh, and, and we've got our eye on that. We have a strategy there too. Very cool. All right. Time for a couple fun questions to wrap up. First of all, an embarrassing moment for you on the podcast. 2021, you were uh, Forbes 30 under 30 for consumer technology. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Incredible. I mean, that's awesome. Not that um, First of all, the, <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think it's really cool. I wanted to highlight it. And first of all, there was no way, way you were 30 in 2021 with four children. But we'll, we'll put that aside for a second. <laughs> young man. You're a young man. That's amazing. But second of all, and this is something I'm, I really want to highlight for our founders out there. Well, first of all, Forbes, talk about being brutal. Under education, they listed your education as dropout yes. from BYU. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On your 30 under 30 profile. Like, what in the world is that? Well, well I think they asked me in the, you know, congratulations, you've won or whatever. Uh, fill out this form. Tell us about yourself. And they said education. And I dropped out. So I'm, yeah. I guess I'm uneducated. <laughs> Well, I think it just goes to sh it just goes to show. Not that we're encouraging founders out there to drop out, but I mean, but but you don't, I will you don't say, have to check Les, that box, right? If you are studying entrepreneurship or studying business, and you want to be an entrepreneur, just go do it. It is there never it is. too late to drop out. That's what I tell everyone in school. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. Good advice, but just not for maybe mothers. Just Les doesn't endorse it. Yeah, yeah, just don't let your parents listen to this. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then to conclude the episode, what I loved, I love uh, just to ask kind of a, a, a personal question. You know, you're definitely a, a, a family oriented uh, father and, and person just in, in your life and your business pursuits. What's your legacy as a founder? Like, what do you want to, how do you, how is, how is Wesley Eames going to dent the universe? And what, like, what's the legacy you're going to leave behind? Uh, yeah. How, how will you measure your life is one of my favorite books. And I don't, I don't think I have the answer to that question. Uh, the way I view my current uh, vocation and endeavors is if I could bend, if I could bend the entire funeral services industry towards what I think is a better consumer experience, uh, better value, more helpful to families at a critical point in their life experience, um, I think that'd be a success if I could bend an entire industry, uh, to be better. Um, and, uh, you know, long-term, I think, I think we can, we can get to the point where we're, we're serving, you know, 1% of the, the seedants that pass each year in this country. And that's one of our, our big hairy goals. Uh, as far as my legacy goes, I, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I want to, I want to be known as, you know, a creator who, uh, woke up every Monday and did stuff that actually positively impacted people. And so far so good. Uh, if I can scale those things to be a little bit bigger and help more people, that would be great too. Uh, I, I think a lot of times though, as a founder, you needed to find to what is enough. Um, I think too much ambition can be hurtful and, and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth, having raised venture capital for this business. You know, we, we've raised $5 million in the last, 10 months. So uh, we're going to be very ambitious with after. Uh, 
but um, you know, me and my wife talk a lot about you know when is enough enough, and and what does that look like for our family, and and how do we make sure we're never not spending time with our kids and making memories as a family because those those are the things that really matter. Uh, business is is business, and it's fun to go play startup every day during you know six to eight hours. But uh, I think I think my children and and the family we're creating is is certainly the most important. Well said. Well said. And, uh, you know, as, as both a friend and, and an entrepreneur that I really uh, respect and admire in our ecosystem, uh, just want to thank you for sharing your story today. And um, please tell our listeners where they can find you and after.com, uh, more about after.com online. Uh, yeah, after.com's thankfully self-explanatory. Um, so you just go to after.com. <laughs> Uh, we're working on getting the at after handles on social media, which requires trademarks and such, but uh, just after.com, um, especially I think people who are, you know, who realize that maybe, hey, you know, my, my parents or my grandparents didn't really have a plan in place when they passed. And that sort of creates a, a problem for all the living next of kin after someone passes. So if you want to pre-plan after.com for usually about 20 bucks a month and under 20 minutes, you can have all your arrangements taken care of. Uh, I'm at Wesley Eames on Twitter. Frankly, if you just Google Wesley Eames, I think I'm the first two pages, all of the links. So there's only one Wesley Eames, unfortunately. <laughs> Makes the yeah. genealogy easy in the future, for sure. Yeah, there is a paper trail of me on the internet. <laughs> awesome, Wesley. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Les. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.